In Jesus' name, amen. The sign that you followed Abraham was circumcision. The sign that you followed Moses was keeping the Sabbath. The sign that you followed John the Baptist was getting baptized. But friends, what is the sign that you actually follow Jesus Christ? The sign for us is that we love one another. These are the words of uh, the, our two texts from John 13 and John 15. Those uh, two uh, sections, brief sections that refers to the same thing, the same command, the same imperative to the believers. Love one another. In this verse we, we, that we are not found in the other Gospels, it's something peculiar to the disciple whom Jesus loved. John. The love of God is about to come to a full self-disclosure through the cross. And Jesus is about to give his farewell to the believers. They are puzzled, they are shattered by the afflictions and shifting that is about to take place. The 11 beloved followers, as, as you remember, we are entering the second section of the gospel. Jesus is moving from evangelism now to discipleship, to an intimate fellowship with every true believer with Jesus Christ. To encourage believers in, the, in light of the trials that are ahead for Jesus and for themselves. The theme as you may catch, is the love of God. Three times, Jesus commands us here to love one another. And John dwells on this theme a lot. That's why he takes those two passages, and we want to take them together this morning in this uh, uh, gospel. But also, if you look at his letters, his epistles, he dwells upon the topic of the love of God in his letters a lot. What is love? See, there's a general love that we could call it a love of benevolence that God has for everyone, the just and the unjust. But what we want to explore today is that special love that theologians call the love of complacency. Not that God is complacent, but that God takes delight. That was the meaning of that root of that word. God has deep abiding devotion and commitment for his true children. Every true believer. It is a spiritual love. It is something that now, because God shows that love through the cross, becomes visible in the life of every child of God. I want you to know that this love is uniquely Christian. In other words, this is no emotional feeling like Romeo and Juliet. Only the regenerate. The person who is truly born again has this love. In fact, John continues in his epistles to say that if you have this love for the brethren, that is an evidence that you are a believer. And that if you still abide in hate, you do not know God. This is love, friend. That God gives his love at the cross and he did not require anything in return. In fact, he was willing and he commands us to extend that love even to our enemies. Even to those who hate us. Those who return your love with hateful actions. And yet God still calls his true children to show love. Love is caring commitment that we display in the church. In the Christian community. Mutual affections and delight toward one another. In loving words and loving actions. One of my former mentors reminded me years ago, this is a supernatural kind of love. 
This is not something that you can manufacture through your human efforts. And in fact, if you try, you will crash and burn or remain in this immature condition that you're going to love only if that person loves me back. And if we have to display this love, friends, we have to understand where do we find this love first. It is not within us. Let me remind you of what I alluded in weeks ago, that this kind of love is grounded in the nature of God. God is love, says John in 1 John, which means the essence of God, one of the preeminent attributes of God is that He is love. The only thing that will last forever, that will never fail, is God's love. But what is love? See, He loved us first. We hate God by nature. We rebel against God. Instead, God loves us first. How? The supreme way in which God's love has been shown is through the death of Christ. Christ gave himself unreservedly, unqualifiedly, away for the sake of others. Freely. Without us having to deserve that love. No need to repay. God's love from the Father to the Son through the Spirit stands at the heart of your salvation. That ultimately you had only hatred for God. And why you hated God and hated others. God's love has been the show at the cross. Now, this doesn't mean now that God loves me so just as I am. That's our society's mantra, right? God leaves me just as I am. That's what they mean that God loves me just as I am. So you can continue to live just as you have been living. As if this love does not transform your entire person. That you can continue to live in full rebellion against God. That you have no need of repentance. No need to come to Christ. No. Love becomes, for the true believer, the greatest commandments from God to his children. But you see, the key to this kind of genuine love that is impossible to deserve. It is impossible to produce on your own. As we'll see in future chapters. It is only by abiding in Christ and it is love for us first yet it remains a crucial call for us that the fundamental characteristic of discipleship in fact all the matters of Christian behavior is summed up in this word love see we need the ass assistance of the Holy Spirit what is one of the primary fruit of the Spirit love it's not something that you produce it's the principal fruit and given how much Christ loved you then you can love one another in the body of Christ. That displays the world, God's true love, as we'll see. Love becomes the mark of our salvation. And I want to say even the measure of our Christian maturity. Last time, as we dive now into these texts, we focused on the lack of love displayed in what? In betrayals. You remember Judas. And you remember even Peter. Loveless Judas. He had to exit because none of his sermons on love applies to him. In fact, God, Scripture tells us, abhors the wicked. That is true about Judas. But you see, love is to be the mark of the 11th. Every believer. We get this from even the way Peter now later, after his failure, is reestablished in ministry. What is the three question of Jesus? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? See, to betray is the most unloving thing that one can do. And yet betrayal was an hint to the coming persecution and hatred that Christ and every true followers will have to face. 
And in the face of such hate, I want to say, from the world, the risk for true believers is to betray back, is to get to have rivalry, to become hateful, resentful. In the midst of betrayals and persecution, it's easy for the disciples to be angered, to be consumed by hate. We see Christ here has to show them the way forward is paving the way for us first by dying on the, grace in the, in, on the cross in the way that he loves us through the cross. And we, friend, have to po follow that path, the same step of Jesus. While Jesus is gone, he goes to heaven, only Christ's love through the spirit and the heart of the believer can bind us as a church and can keep us as a church united. Only love can get through disciples through a world full of hatred. You see, the love of Christ makes up for his physical absence. So today we want to focus on the opposite of betrayal. The complete sacrifice for someone else's good. And that is what Jesus Christ did for us. Think about it. Not only did complete sacrifice for someone else's good, but he did that. While we, like all of us, were in sin, all of us did not deserve it, and he did it anyway. That was the most loving thing to do, that just as Christ's love was fully sacrificial, he now commands that this sacrificial love may spread in one another in the church. Let us look at our first point in chapter 13, these uh, four verses of chapter 13, verse 31 to 35. From that, we get our definition of love. Love is the last and distinctive commandment that Jesus left us with. As the church, this is the last and distinctive commandment. That before leaving his church to continue Christ's work on earth, he leaves this last and distinguishing command. He says, love one another to the full. Why is love the last commandment? Last because, you see, he said it before leaving the disciples and going back to the Father. Verse 31 says that obviously the meal is over. Uh, Judas has left. Jesus gets out of the upper room and he, he continues to warn the disciples. Now the Son of Man is to be glorified. Five times in these two verses, the word glory comes about. That the glory of God will be displayed through the suffering of the obedient Son to the Father. That both of them will be glorified immediately, which we are on the verge of Christ's death. It's few hours away. In verse 33 now, it shows us how this impacts the believers. It says, little children, a little while longer, and, you can, and, and I'm going away. Isn't it interesting how he uses this title, little children? That's how, for the inner circle of the true believers, it's stuck with John so much that Seven times in his epistle, he repeats, little children, little children. And he's addressing believers in the church. That title shows the love, tender concern of Christ for the immature 11. That is like a tender father. He says, I shall be with you only a little while. And that is, the, that there's an expiration date, friends, for the time together with their masters. It's, it's approaching. And he's trying to prepare them for what's coming. And he repeats to them what he said twice to the Jewish crowds in chapter 8. You cannot come where I go. And I say this to you so that you are prepared for my departure. 
Do you remember what we saw last time? We saw betrayals. But this is actually under the purpose of God. Someone said, who delivered up Octavius Winslow, a Puritan, who delivered up Jesus to die? It wasn't Judah for money. It wasn't Pilate for fear. It wasn't the Jews for envy. But was the Father for what purpose? For love. There's a purpose even in all that is about to happen. That the Father, first of all, notice, and the Son glorifies themselves entirely by what's coming in Passion Week. The death of Christ glorified. The resurrection of Christ glorifies. The ascension of the Son glorifies. How many countless souls will bring glory to Christ and to the Father? How many will receive salvation and glorify God? That's why the 11 need to be grounded. We need to be grounded in this reality before the shifting. See, without salvation, we have no standing. Last Wednesday night at our prayer meeting, we were going through the Baptist Catechism, and we were dealing with the topic of justification. And justification by faith alone, which means God pardoning yours, all of your sins, accepting you as righteous in His sight, on the basis of the righteousness of Christ, imputed to you, received by faith alone, not because there's any merit in you. The Puritan said this way, going through life without being firm in your belief in justification, by faith alone, makes every trial a double trial. That's what the disciples need to be prepared. The same word that Jesus said to the 11, he could say to us as a church now, Christ has gone to heaven. And we remain on earth awaiting to joining Him. And we are not prepared for glorification. There is a process between glorification and now sanctification. And that happens through the furnace of afflictions. The furnace of persecution. You think about our sister Joyce that passed away last week. We cannot go to heaven where she is. But we have already been introduced to the reality of heaven through faith in Christ. And there is a tension now for every believer in the church that we find ourselves in the world but not of the world. And remember, the reason Jesus is going through all this teaching before his death is to prepare, to be kind of a manual for us as a church. How are we living in this world full of hatred, awaiting to meet the Lord? That is the last commandment. But also love is distinctive commandment because verse 34 and 35 tells us this love will be the way believers will be recognized as true followers of Jesus. Love is a mark that distinguishes true believers from the surrounding world. Verse 34, interesting. Jesus describes it as a new commandment. A new commandment I give you. Now new doesn't mean recent commandment. That's where I want to point our attention. It's more like a fresh commandment. You think about apples. They have been planted and eaten since forever, right? But there's a huge difference when you take a fresh and new apple and one apple that has been in the counter and has been rotting year after. It's like, it's not good, right? And so what, what, what's, what's happening here is that the newness of that new commandment is a commandment that already existed in the Old Testament but now appears in all of its light, in all of its new fruits. That the, the, the way that this word, new commandment, is impressed at John, he picks this newness all the way to his First uh, John 2, 2 John 5. The new commandment, the new command is, is 
is the completion of that old commandment. It's, it's, it's the full measure of the love of God that is now revealed in Christ. Now, this is a, not a suggestion, okay? If you're a believer, this is a commandment to obey. And if you don't obey, you are disobeying your Lord. Love. You see, the way you obey this crucial commandment is through loving one another. Love is a warm regard and interest that we have to display toward each other in the church. And I'm saying the church because this is not a simple neighborly love. It is the fellow believer that you must love chiefly. As we cherish each other with affection. And remember, Jesus has come to fulfill the law. And the law, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you look at the public ministry of Jesus Christ so far. He has confirmed the Old Testament law. He did this by expounding what? The fuller implication of each and every one commandment. Love God and love neighbor. In fact, it's not a new commandment as in recent commandment. It was an old commandment from the old covenant. But what is new here is the new demand that such love requires. In the way that love has been now fully revealed to us in Christ. You get that he, idea when you hear Jesus again. You have heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And then what, the, what does Jesus do with that commandment? He flips that around to a far newer and deeper level. But I say to you, love your enemies. See, he's bringing the command to love into a whole new deeper level. Now love is supposed to expect nothing in return. Now the condition... If he's a friend, if he's an enemy, I'm going to hate him. It's removed. See the new demand. Why? Because we're in a new age. All the boundaries of such love must be removed. We are in the new covenant. And our distinguishing mark is not a kippah. It's not a circumcision. But mutual love within the brethren. One another. We should in fact call each other in the church as beloved. That is our identity as part of a community of believers. To love the church, love other believers. And then look at our text continues there. Just as I have loved you. That is the newness. That is the radical measure to which God's love is exemplified for you. That is the full extent of the love of God. He loved us until complete sacrifice. He loved us without reservation, without limits, even to death. He knew that death was to save our souls. He was willing to undergo all of that because he loved us. If this is true, then if you receive this love, you are to practice and express such love toward other believers. Even to the point of sacrificing your life when necessary. That is how you prove you know the love of Christ. We're supposed to, as believers to love one another, literally to have love toward one another. The same way Christ loved us. Verse 35 continues. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples. Everyone on earth will be able to tell if this mutual love between each other is there. They will recognize you as true followers of Christ. That is a necessary condition for the world. Realizing whether or not we are true followers of Jesus. Or whether our profession of faith is a joke. They will know we are Christians by our love. And not just love for God, but visible, not in words, but deeds. Recognizable for one another. I, I remember back in Milan, there was even unbelievers. There was this unbeliever that came to one of our outreach. And he saw so much love between believers. That he was so much struck 
that first expose you to genuine Christian love. Why is it so important? Because love, someone says, is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. That while Jesus loved us and that demonstrates his death, is, that cannot be repeated by anyone on earth, okay? It is unmatchable into the heights of God's love. It still remains the greatest concern for Christ toward you, believer. That, it, that, that, that this love is found in you. It is a love that we receive as salvation. That now it fuels every actions that you make. To love others as a new commandment, but to love as much as Christ loved us. That is the, the full nature of love. The fuller revelation of the old command. That, can you imagine? We are called to follow Jesus' example of sacrificial service for one another in the church. Even to the point of death. As an example of true love. As our next point says, no greater love as anyone. That becomes the badge. That becomes the signal. The sign of recognition of the true followers of Christ. Our love for one another. That is how we communicate that we truly follow Christ. People are supposed to set their foot in the church for the first time and see people that could not be more different. That could not be you know, different background. And yet they love each other. Love should be observed. I want to encourage you that. I, have many, I hear this from many, several people as their first impression. That as a church, yes, we are on the right track, but we can always increase. In fact, see how they're ready to even die for one another. That's the type of observation that is said by Jesus Christ. People should think by watching, this is how it looks to come to know God personally. Walking in His will. That yes, we need the gospel. Okay, I don't, don't misunderstanding. That that is the way people come to know God. But love indeed attracts unbelievers, a starving, who don't have such love of Christ. Nothing will astonish them. Nothing will astonish a fractured world more than a community filled with genuine love toward one another. That is a priceless, that is, they want to be part of it. Because without love, we are nothing. Many churches, I want to say, they can claim to follow Jesus. And no sooner they claim the title than they become torn viciously by strife. Friend, if our actions are unloving, then we are failing to reflect Christ to the world. When an unbeliever hears about two Christians quarreling, people outside the church gossiping about things, things they're not supposed to hear, what are they supposed to deduce about Christ? Let me stress this point. Without genuine love, the whole witness of the church to the world falls apart. All that the world witness. Sadly, it's a bunch of individuals pursuing their own agenda, professionally playing Christianity. And a church that forgets her first love, yes, you can have some doctrine rights, like Ephesians, they knew predestination, but where we find them in Revelation 2, they cease to be the church. Christ removed the lampstand unless they go back to their first love. Let's now move to the second aspect of this love. Chapter 15, verse 12 to 17. Uh, five verses there, briefly. What is love? Love is a word that must be put into action. That's how we could describe it from this verse. Christ repeats the command, love one another. That's why we're putting them together. And he emphasized the breadth of love and the practical ways in which such love can be displayed. The first thing you notice is the sacrificial dimension of love. This is my commandment. If there's something that Jesus wants the eleven to take away before he goes away, is this. Again, the number one instruction for the church. 
That's what we have to face. Hatred from the world, attacks of false doctrine, schism in the church, attacks from within, attacks from without. The, 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 the command to counteract all that is to love one another. But what? Once again, as I have loved you. That's the extent. That, that's the full measure of the kind of love that Christ wants us to have to each other. That in the same way he loved us, we are to love each other. How did he love us? Can you remind me? To death, totally. Even in our sin. Even in our rebellion. Even in our stubbornness. He was right beside us. The, to hold us when we deserved judgment. This is how I loved you. I died for you. I went through the terrors of the cross to give life to you, my child, through his death. And then I leave you with no condemnation. It, it is his love that demolishes all of our hatred toward him and brings us finally to surrender and to embrace salvation. And now he wants us, if we have truly experienced this love, to show the same kind of love between each other in the church. And he adds the example, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. Makes me think of uh, Dem Desmond Doss. They recently made a movie about him, but he was a World War II pacifist Christian, combat medic. He suffered incredible opposition by his comrades in, in training and military. They beated him up time after time after time. And then he goes to the mountain in Okinawa and he gives his life for all of the same ones who beat him up. <laughs> and he became a hero. That's exactly, if not more, of what Christ has done for us. Verse 17. He has to repeat it three times until it sinks in each of us. Love one another. That is my command. That is my demand, says the Savior. John Calvin said, whatever a person may be like, we must still love them because we love God. They're made in God's image. Love is more than a feeling. Love is more than a crush. Love is more than a heart beating fast. It is an attitude that now reveals itself in concrete actions. What does loving someone so selflessly all the way to sacrifice looks like, you may wonder? Look at the cross. That's how it looks like. This is how it means to act it. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know that we love, that, that what love is. That's the definition. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. But it doesn't end there. And that is our take. And we ought to lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. On the basis of Christ laying down his life. That is the ultimate act of love. The ultimate, I want to say, source of your love. Now you are called to sacrifice everything for the brethren. To invest in one another as Christ has invested in us. Because that brother is Christ. We help others even when not convenient. We give even when it hurts. We devote to other people's welfare even other than our own. We even absorb their hurt sometimes without complaining. Love is the only thing able to keep a believer strong in the midst of a hateful and perverse generation. And we are their friends out there. The love of many will grow cold. Love is what unites a church living in a world hostile to God. Friends, will you seriously and confidently be able to say on that day, yes, I love the brethren to the end. That's what Christ wants to hear from you and me. I want to say our sister Joyce now is in heaven. That when we die, we can hold in our hands the love's demand. What we're talking about here is not simply having a nice time together at church. What we're talking about is not simply appreciating someone who believes like you, who likes you, who doesn't make you feel uncomfortable and meets all your selfish need. 
And then you come at the end of your life alone and you realize how selfish. No, love is sacrifice. And if true love does not wrong to a neighbor, it means that, I want to say, all the pity, bickering, gossiping, jealousy, division must leave the church. Pursuing sacrificially unity instead of rivalry. Trust instead of suspicion. Obedience rather than lip service. That is the pinnacle of true love, to die for one another. I want to stress the fact that this is humanly impossible. This is humanly impossible. Even with your best intention, like we saw last time. Remember Peter, oh, I'm going to die for you, Jesus. I'm going to do this. I got this. Empty claims without love by Peter. He's a believer. But do you love me, Peter? Do you really understand what love is? See, true love can emerge only when it comes from the supernatural source of Christ's love for you. As you receive the love of God, then you become able to now die to yourself. When you truly have been filled with the love of God, then you can love back. If you're a believer in Christ, that is what Christ is calling you to do. To serve with love is body's church. To realize everything is nothing in comparison to this. Then uh, there's verse 14 to 16, the end of our text. Love implies fruits of obedience. Jesus had to add a qualification to all this discourse on love, okay? The love's demand is included in the command. You are my friends if you do, do, do whatever I command you. Talk about unconditional love. That ultimately, here we have a condition. But even that condition doesn't come through you. Going back to Octavius Winslow, he says this. It's an extensive quote. And I quote, There is a proneness in us to deify the graces of the Spirit. We often think of love as though it was essentially omnipotent, forgetting that though it undoubtedly is divine in, the, in its origin, spiritual in its nature, sanctifying in its effect, love yet is sustained by no self-supporting power, but by constant communication of life and nourishment from Jesus. That the moment of your being left to your inherent strength, Peter, is the moment of your certain declension, decay, and fall. Love does indeed comes with a clear condition here. Not at our salvation, but at the path that follows salvation. No longer I call you servants, but friends. My brother used to work in a factory where they make Nutella in Italy. And he, the, the factory was organized in departments. Every department didn't know what the other department was doing. But then one day he goes to the son of the boss to, and he finds out the secret recipe that no one in the chain of command knew because he talked with the son of the boss. Christ now says the inner circle, the 11, the true believers, are allowed to know the master's plan. All things I hear from the Father I make known to you. The love as an upgrade, the love as a great privilege. He had washed their feet. That was the way to exemplify sacrificial love. That perfect illustration. And now it is a privilege for us to be initiated in this love. In verse 16, what is the reason we get to such privilege? It's not because of anything in us. No one of us is worthy in of our, ourselves of the love of God. That amplifies the love of God. But because God elects us before we ever did anything. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not love me first, but I loved you first. Your status as a believer didn't happen by chance. The Father loved you. The Son died for you. 
And this choosing doesn't stop there midair. Now it has a specific purpose. It has a specific mission for the believer, which we'll look more in future chapters. To bear fruit. I appointed you that you yield fruit, not just in your personal life, that you are a good quality, you're a good hard worker, but fruits in the life of others. Conversion. The fruit that remains is that. We'll explore more on the theme of fruit and abiding in Christ because that's the ultimate source of all this, friends. And the assurance also we'll see next of being heard in our prayer. Ask to the Father whatever you may and he will respond to you. That's the love of God. R.C. Sproul puts it this way. In the New Testament, love is more of a verb than a noun. It has more to do with acting than with feeling. The call to love is not just so much a call to a certain state of feeling as it is to a quality of action. See, friendship is more than a casual acquaintance. And even friendship is informed by obedience. There's mutual esteem, there's affection, there's loyalty. And if all of that is lacking, there's no friendship. A true friend stick closer than a brother. And if this is true of our common friendship in the world, even, for, even unbelievers understand that. How much more with God? See, you, can't, you can claim to be a, a friend of God. But it's more than showing up on Sunday. It is a loyalty to His Word that shows in action. It is affection toward the Savior that flow. It is a genuine esteem and love for the church and the brethren. That is what proves that you are actually a friend of God. Not a casual acquaintance. The beauty of the relationship with God is that we're not just two, but friends. The privilege is that we become fellow workers with God. The fruit is the purpose, the mission here. God chose us for a specific purpose. We often speak of the Great Commission. You see, we cannot fulfill it with, without first demonstrating the character of Christ. Love is the powerful factor in carrying the message of Christ out. Fruit here is the fruit of love in multiplying the genuine love through spiritual life changed by the love of God. As you engage in sharing the gospel, you shine the light of Christ among those around you. It doesn't come from you, friend. It comes from God. But it should indeed engage all the energies of a believer. Notice also, in closing, the, the role of prayer. You see, prayer it remains the fuel, the necessity for the continuation and success of this mission. It is the only way in which the love of God can flow through you. Prayer bears spiritual fruit. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. If we fail in anything, friends, may we not fail. May our failure not be traceable in a neglect and a forgetfulness of God through deadly prayerlessness. See, we have a confidence here before the throne of grace that if you pray, you shall be answered. But there's also a warning. The prayer that you pray must be tied to your personal obedience as well. When, when those are in place for the believer then spiritual fruitfulness come to the picture. Otherwise, as Spurgeon says, why would you expect God to do for your will if you do not do His? How is it God supposed to wait on you if you don't wait on Him? How can you expect Him to walk with you if you walk contrary to Him? Remember, fruitfulness doesn't mean necessarily quantity. There's plenty of outwardly fruitful Christians and churches out there but actually zero spiritual fruit. We'll explore more on that in the future. But quality of witnesses becomes part of a truly divine work. That is my desire for us, friends. 
That we become part of a divine work. As God works through us and in us, spiritual fruit, real, tangible, spiritual fruits. And we must not forget others, the brethren. That is the ultimate purpose. It's not for our self-glory. Oh, look how much fruit I... No, it's not about you. It's about us, the church. That is what Jesus said here. Time is for Christ to pack his bag and leave this earth. What is his last command? He leaves us, he leaves us here, finish his mission with these timeless, tender words of love. A love that he first displayed for you long before you could ever even know anything about true love. Perhaps hearing all of this talk about love, perhaps you hear about all this intimacy with God, you hear all this joy in the Lord, talking about God as a dear and real acquaintance, you're, you're starting to feel uncomfortable. You look at your life and you, all you see is love for other things. Love for riches, love for people, love for the praise of man, love for hypocrisy, in one word, love for sin. Yes, you did a nice thing in your life, just like an unbeliever would, but you never have been able to truly love God or your neighbor. Friends, you may be still without a drop of knowledge of this fountain of divine law that flows from Christ. And my encouragement to you this morning, stop seeking to achieve this through merits of your own. Don't remain in shame. Come to Christ. Realize that Jesus Christ is altogether lovely. In his person, Jesus, there's nothing unlovely about him. In his work, all is done for love. And only his love can satisfy you. So make him the object of your love. His cross is what shows us the nature of true love. For you, yes, a sinner, a wretched sinner. See, no spouse on earth loves us as Christ loved us. He loves you even as you're lost. He loves you even when you were restless, empty, longing for something more with this deep hole in your heart that you it's not leaving you alone and you try this you try that and then you finally surrender finally you experience this love and it will change you from within let you think about that witness of this uh, uh, heavy metal singer okay he was on drugs uh before i came to christ i was actually listening to his band it was a very dark uh rock band and essentially his wife had died of overdose her daughter was about to die his life was a wreck. He was about to die of drugs. And uh, God, through a manager, shared a Bible verse to him. And he went to the scripture, come to me, all of you who are weedy and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he gives his life to Christ. And he says that God's love flowed in his life so powerfully that the next day he was able to destroy all the drugs and essentially begin a new path of redemption see that is that is what god does he takes you out of your hate rebellion toward him you realize finally that god so loved the world that he sent his son for you born in a manger as we'll see next week the father however did this out of love he gave his son beloved son can you can you picture that for a second that if you trust him you will not perish that's when love enters your heart to the highest degree Love in its full scale, that love of Christ which now asks nothing from us, but then what? Demands we give our all. That is how it flows through sanctification, through loving one another in obedience to his command. 
even at the price of personal loss, through neighborly love, through how are we to do this? By first stop trying to earn God's love, working yourself to exhaustion. If you have looked at your life and you've seen this trajectory, take the Christmas holiday off. Spend as much time as possible to just dwell and abide in Jesus Christ and be overwhelmed by His love. Not just to relax, but to do whatever it takes to focus on searching for the love of Christ until it fills you to the brim. Stop also feeling guilty of accepting Christ's love. I am unworthy of this. Friends, you are accepted in the beloved. All you have to do is reach out in faith. Accept the reality of His love for you now. Stop restricting the spirits. The world is desperate for this love. Our world will live without love. But you see, when you abide in Christ... There's an intentional devotion that flows toward one another. And that is what is inspired by God. First in the church, then in our marriages, then in our parenting, then at work. But how? How are we to do this? Well, examples abound. First by warm greetings, then preserving fellowship by all means in the church. Serving sacrificially, being kind and patient. Instead of sounding like what? A loveless, noisy symbol that keeps playing out of inertia. See what is the, the greatest obstacle to love, friends? Arrogance. Rudeness. Always wanting your way. Being touchy, envious, jealous. Keeping resentment for months. Full of boast and pride. Love is the opposite of all that. Love always believes the best of every person. Forgives. Almost pays no attention to the wrong suffered. Instead, loves meet material needs, care for the sick. I'm telling you, this is serious. That's why I'm dwelling on this. Without this love, even the, the, the greatest thing about us, I don't care how much faith you got. I don't care how much knowledge you got. It remains useless. If God's love is not within us, then how great our hate. Love, friends, is what is demanded of us as believers to show in the church. Fruits. Soul change from hate to love. What else do you need? What are the boundaries do you need? That's why Augustine once said, Love and do whatever you want. Now, that statement makes sense only if you truly understand what love and true love is. Love is not a feeling but an attitude which flows in sacrificial acts of love for one another, even for the unlovable, even regardless of whether you lo your love will be returned or not. Friends, so may, may this become the distinguishing mark in a world full of hate of his beloved church that they can say they loved each other it's a Christian song that plays and refers to marriage at the end of the scene of the Christian movie Fireproof but it applies in the church as well and it says love is not a place to come and go as we please it is a house we enter in then commit to never leave love is a shelter in a raging storm love is peace in the middle of a war and if we try to leave, may God send angel to guard the door. No, love is not a fight, but it's something worth fighting for. Let us pray.